Like the mountain in the soil in the earth Breaking through the rocks Growing wild and tall Till the buds begin to pop Pack me in a bowl or roll me in a split Or you're breaking me down You can feel your Hey, this is Ryan Heron and Amanda Breeze here to talk about all the fun stuff about one of our favorite plants, cannabis. Stick with us for updates on the industry, the most dank herb, and explorations of flavor, aroma, and effects. Uh, how's it going today, Amanda? Uh, my day is going great. I'm I'm here on the farm, so I'm very sticky. Yes. And just, um, you know, taking care of all the plants. We had a really bad storm a few days ago and not everything was properly caged. And so a lot of the plants were very top heavy and they went once they fell down. So mm -hmm. I've just been running around today, tying strings like a crazy spider <laughs> and trying to get everything back up on its feet again. Nice. Well, other yeah. than that, have you guys had a pretty good end of season? We're still going. Probably we usually harvest here is like maybe a month away, maybe okay. a little less, like, you know, the next three or four weeks. Like we actually really push it until like the first or second frost sometimes. Oh, wow. um, we even pushed it to the third because a lot of our plants are actually quite frost hardy. Um, so sometimes, you know, we test the limits uh, and this might be one of those years because stuff's just like doesn't look even quite ready. It's not, nothing's quite finished yet. So it's going to need those last few weeks to pull together. So I'm just wildly defoliating out there, trying to get the plants back in action and doing the right moves. So, yeah, it's um, a great, sunny, beautiful day. And um, yeah, it's been fantastic here. How are you doing? Nice. Um, man, I'm doing great. There's really nothing too exciting uh going on on this end um we just finished up the tech issue for the oregon leaf uh magazine so that is um i think hitting newsstands in a couple of days so by the time this comes out it should be all over oregon go pick that up um in fact if you're in a legal state there's likely a leaf magazine that you can pick up and there's probably some of my writing in there so go ahead and pick that one up cool yeah not too bad it's always fun when the uh magazines come out because i get a lot of like Hey, this is great. I really like this thing that you wrote. And then I also get a handful of, hey, um, you screw this thing up. The lineage on this is actually this other thing. And I'm like, I know, because I've been corrected twice. Uh, so oh, yeah, no. it, it's fun on both ends. Um, and then beyond that, um, I've just been kicking back. Um, I'm trying to think if I've smoked anything good lately, because really I'm just trying to, I'm on the hunt for whatever's good and kind of anticipating the... Uh, this year's outdoor harvest coming in. We've had a really nice end of season with hardly any rain, um, some really warm days and nights. And um, I think people are having really nice uh, season. So that's going to mean a lot of good herb here soon. I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, I mean, I know we got that little storm here, but same here. The weather's been super nice. Otherwise, not like last year's like water war that went down and rain and the, the mold was crazy like I just walked through the whole garden and only found you know a couple little bits of mold here and there which is totally normal yeah that's perfectly normal for outdoor and so it was not that's basically nothing you know and uh yeah I think it's really gonna be a really good season here too just feels like everything's working out as long as this like crazy hurricane weather doesn't all of a sudden move up in our direction I think we should be good here too. 
Very nice. So are there some specific plants that you have your eye on? Like, oh, I cannot wait until this one is in a jar. Um, we're growing a couple of Oregon grape crosses Fun. and the grapes are just always my favorite. It's like very nostalgic for me. Um, that grape smell. I just love it so much. And, uh, so we have a few crosses that we're bringing out here. We have some really beautiful Northern Lights crosses. Um, you know, we do a lot of breeding here. So a lot of the stuff is like house strains that we've um, done for the, I've been here for about four years now. So it's some house strains that we've been working on every year. One's like an Afghan hash plant cross um, and the Northern Lights. We have a bunch of crosses of that too. And then we have an actual house strain we call B96. And the B96 has always been um, really high terpene profile. Um, like I know it's like 2% is the average, but I swear it's like 90%. I just, it's, it's just ridiculous. It, I, I'll never trust it. Just trust me on that one. Yeah, no, Hey, I believe it. It's so pungent and very similar to blue dream in it's like exciting flavor and that kind of bubble gummy sort of, it's hard to describe, but B96 is one of our best. Um, and well, part of the reason it's hard to describe is because we've done a bunch of different crosses with it. Yeah. So B96 four years ago was a little different and B96 this year is shaping up so nicely. Um, and you know, when you have a nug that almost looks like a teddy bear when it has the bulby sort of calyxes, totally. like sometimes they're very spiky and sometimes they're very like teddy bear little cuddly ears it reminds me of like little kitty ears I don't know what it is like cute and fuzzy and you just want to squeeze it it looks like that right now it's so cute um <laughs> I so love that I'm farmhouse studio has like a name for that what is it it's like nubs or like nodules or whatever um but those they're saying like those plants have like even more surface area and so they tend to to wash really well you know um uh, yeah hey I love it that's that's my favorite kind of herb so we got a couple of those going. I feel like the Northern Lights tend to lean towards that the way we grow them here. And then we have some really nice, we have a, a pond and there's a few things growing down by the pond that are really, really, really purple. Um, so they're just giving me like festive Halloween feels like really super purple, almost black leaves and bright green centers. So it's like this purple and neon green Halloween energy. Yeah, and then right next to it is its opposite. So it's like, really really green leaves and a crazy purple flowers so um we have some fun colors i'm excited i mean i've been in the garden all day i was telling you i got nug vision which is when you're just like staring at the plants for so long that every time you close your eyes you just see leaves um and then of course during trim season it becomes while you're trimming for so long every time you look outside and see a tree your mind's like how would I trip that? And you start to <laughs> visualize tripping like so pine trees on the lawn. Like that's how you know you're like, you're like, wow, these neighborhood trees look a little shaggy. I need to get somebody out here. Yeah, you're like, oh, I might take that down a little on that side. So yeah, right now I every time I'm blinking, I'm just seeing leaves. But um, we're gonna try to get in the zone here because today's episode is actually very exciting. I've been really looking forward to this one um because it's a question that both you and I get asked quite a bit. Yeah, I, someone just reached out um, this week and uh, we're asking basically, 
how can I smell like that, right? How can I stick my nose in something and come away with like 20 descriptive words that I can translate to someone else? Like, would you say that's a good way of summing it up? Yeah. Like, how do I get better at smelling? Yeah. That, I think that's a really concise way of putting it. I'm not even sure that's full grammar or how grammar works, but uh, getting better at smelling is the question that I get a lot. So um, that is today's episode. Yeah. And you know what? Hey, it's a really good thing for us because it's art and it's science, right? It's a little bit of like, what can you do? And then what can you learn to help like increase your knowledge? Right. Um, And then, you know, I think a lot of people falsely think, um, oh, you must be a, a super taster or you must have some genetic advantage. And like, while that might be the case, like since we talk about communication so much on the show, like that's that's the superpower, right? Not just having this like big nose, which I do have, but also being able to like take that, break it into parts and, and tell it to the person next to you in a way that they go, oh, this does smell like an old teddy bear or whatever fun descriptors you can come up with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've said it before, but this is a a learned skill. So this is actually something like, even though, you know, everyone can smell, we always smell things every day, actually honing that skill requires, um, requires effort and practice. So anyone can do it. It's not exclusive. Um, you know, some, I've read that women are better at smelling than men, but leave it. Not by much. Um, it's still possible. And it actually, one of the books we both read, um, they debunked the myth of um, dogs smelling, having more scent receptors than humans as well. We're actually up there and have a lot of scent receptors as well. We're just not as good at identifying those aromas, which is really what we're doing when we're talking about smelling weed. Right. Aromas. Right. Exactly. And you know what? I, I think like, I, I say this sometimes, like, if you have no base for this at all, then that's fine. Just use things you do have a base of knowledge for to describe it. So if that's movies, you can say, ah, oh, I don't know, this reminds me of Roger Rabbit, whatever. Great. You've now like got a touch point that you can tell to someone else or you can think on or you can set that in your mind. So the next time you come across another scent that's a lot like it, you can say, oh, this reminds me of that. Right. So you don't have to be too specific, but a good place to start is right there on things that already have flavor and aroma notes. The bag of coffee I have says cherry plum cedar. Great. I can brew a cup. I can open the beans all throughout that process. I can smell for those touchstones and see if they connect with me at all. Absolutely. And it's it's funny you would mention um, comparing it to other things like branching out from aroma, because uh, the first time I was ever asked to assess the aroma of three strains, it was the, the blue cookies, the blue dream and a blue fire. And wow. I didn't realize how hard describing these smells would be. I thought it would be so easy. Um, and so I remember one of the descriptions, I wrote something like uh, it reminds me of smoking weed in high school. And they were like, you actually can't say that because that's not legal. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's a good point. Okay. Noted. Um, but that's where my mind went, you know, the smell, it had a, a memory that it was tied to, it had something that connected me to those younger days. Um, and that more than that, the feeling of the first few times you skipped fourth period and rip a doobie. So, um, it was very reminiscent of that. And that's an interesting story. And that's not one we used in that situation, but that's a good example of, of tying the smell of things into these more tangible concepts and memories, which is really a big part of identifying cannabis aromas and describing them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it can be, and like the art and science thing about expression and communication, right? So if I want to say that um, this smells like driving a stolen car, right? That's evocative. <laughs> that, okay. It's maybe gasoline. There's maybe a leather smell to it. There's some excitement there. That's probably not going to be on a bag of coffee, right? But if you write weed ads for a living and need to convey something and you're not necessarily trying to communicate, but instead express something about the flower, well, then you have a lot more artistic freedom, right? To say like, hey, this reminds me of like skipping seventh period and smoking half a joint behind the gym, then I think like that can put people in a place where they can... uh like connect with other sensory moments that are not just like cut grass, baseball, you know, like those sort of like more um, specific descriptors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going to talk about some techniques that you and I use um, to identify specifically aroma. And then, yeah, I'd like to get into a little more of like the adjective ways of describing things, using more adjectives and bringing in more descriptors to more colorful language. But at its base, um, the main thing these days is what we're seeing um, with cannabis packaging is that it is listing its terpenes. So when people first ask me like, hey, how do I get better at smelling? Um, when I'm, you're, if you're a regular smoker, you're smoking all the time, a really easy first step is to smell the package, smell what's in the package and look at the package and see what terpenes are in it. Can you identify any of these aromas? Are you catching any of these smells? Like at this point, every cannabis educator has, there's a ton of information on the internet about what limonene, myrcene, beta caryophyllene, I'm sure by now most people who are interested in honing their aromatic skills are already familiar with some of the base terpenes in general. Um, and so we can just take the package, give it a whiff and see what's actually in there. And is this the kind of energetics that we're getting? Are we actually able to pull out any of these smells from the packaging? Um, so that's like a good first step. Similarly, having uh, isolates that you're working with are huge for practicing uh, honing your aromatic skills. So I know you have a ton of terpene isolates. I have a ton of terpene isolates as well. And um, so I literally practice smelling and memorizing those smells. Yeah, and it's really simple to grab some um, perfume strips or Q-tips even, 
and set your uh, your system up. Say you only have three terpene isolates, right? Or even three terpene blends and one is limonene dominant and one is a beta C dominant, right? You can blind smell those very easily tell the difference from them. But the more you add to those, now you have seven in your lineup. Now you have 14. You have a really great experience, like a really locked in memory with both limonene and beta C because you were just sitting there with both of them, smelling them against each other and they're wildly different. So then when you start adding things in like humulene that does have like a beta karyophyllene type of scent, that's that same sort of like woodsiness uh, that they're more easily, uh, you can more easily tell them apart because you have a better base of knowledge because you built your catalog up slowly, right? And same thing with anything you want to smell. I think spices are one of the easiest, best things you can practice at home with because, I mean, you you are smelling terpenes. That's what it is and other aroma compounds. And they're relatively inexpensive. They're super fun. And hey, they've got some utility. Like I, I have a thing of star anise up in my cabinet to smell but if i had to make some like pho broth or whatever like boom it's right there and i'm going to use it and i know it's fresh because i bought it just a couple of months ago absolutely and i like to um review the things in my head too like as i'm smelling them so if it's if i'm catching a waft i'll have a little dialogue with myself and try to think you know what are three words that could actually describe the smell that I'm experiencing, like, you know, star anise, like maybe it's a little on the spicy side. Maybe if some spices will feel more rounded um, and different things might have some sort of shapes to them or some sort of sounds like you can start to combine um, wherever your mind goes, let it go there because that's actually what's interesting. We're looking to create a language and because there isn't a, a set, the, the terpene scientific terms is really the set language of these smells because a terpene is a singular aromatic note. So that's the language, but that's the boring language. What we're looking for is the fun language, the more descriptive language. So yes, uh, orange has limonene in it, but it also has zest like what are we what are we really truly getting from these cool smells and in the way that you work with spices i also work with essential oils and i find those to be really great to work with because you Absolutely. can find essential oil profiles online um a lot of them are very affordable um and you know a few weeks ago i wanted to um i have isolates of say mercy and and um, so I can identify Mercian on its own. And I really wanted to practice identifying it in a bouquet. Um, and so I chose to get a really some high Mercian essential oils because it's has that terpene in it and it's almost isolated form, right? Essential oils are 95% terpene. So very robust, strong smells, um, but it has a bunch of other stuff mixed into it. So I really wanted to see if I could find mercine in this um, oil called Buchu, um, which is just a very high mercine essential oil aromatic. And that's another way to start tying that smell to other things. Like, can I identify it in something with other things in it? Can I identify it being distracted by the other smells in that bouquet? Which is essentially what we're doing with cannabis, no one strain 
as one terpene. So we're always going to be having these sensory distractions of all the aromas, trying to hone in on what exactly it is that's present, especially if you're working with homegrown or you don't have access to the profiles. This is right. And, and it's, the more you develop that skill, the more helpful it is because in top tier best herb that you can get, like, yeah, great. I'm getting a lot of orange peel and juice and um, these like spicy notes, but the more it gets towards like mids territory, the more it is going to be one note and you might have to struggle uh, or dig in there a little deeper to pull out those individual notes, because when it's not like turned up to 11, then you really have to get in there, you know? And um, you were talking about shapes earlier. And I, I think that um, that's a really great place for a lot of people, like, especially if you're a very visual person trying to picture what that scent looks like in your mind. Right. And then even more so, the more you can kind of like read about perfume where sharp has a meaning and round has a meaning, um, which are probably the exact meanings you're thinking of right now, because it, it does make sense. Uh, the more you can kind of connect what the shape of a smell is and compare it to others, um, which is, hey, great. Another way to to separate them in your mind and communicate them with other people. And I think... Um, if you told me something was very round and you handed it to me, then I could easily agree with you because that's uh, a set point that uh, has like a very clean descriptor, you know? Yeah. So um, interestingly, um, when uh, I work with a lot of essential oils and peppermint is a fun one because it's in the mint family, uh, duh. And um, it's really high in menthol, which as we know is a type of terpene. And actually interestingly is a solid, not a liquid. Fun fact. So peppermint, there are many different kinds of peppermint. Um, uh, mentha arvensis, mentha piperita. So like Japanese peppermint, um, true peppermint, corn mint. There's all these different ones. Um, and they're all gonna be really high in the same terpene because it's mint. However, um, what's interesting is that I find Japanese or true peppermint to be really, really sharp and really, really spicy, like tingling, high, high, minty peppermint in your face. But corn mint, which smells almost, almost exactly the same, is round. I can't explain it. It's almost like the difference of a peppermint leaf and a peppermint candy. It just has this slightly sweeter, more rounded aromatic that's a little more on the soothing and a little less on the spicy. And again, they're both in the same family. They're both going to probably have extremely similar terpene profiles, but energetically and aromatically, very different essences. And I use them very differently in essential oil blends and in aromatherapy. I wouldn't swap one for the other. To me, they're very, very different smells. I love that. And really the greatest way to tell the difference is just practicing and just getting your nose in there and thinking about it and thinking, okay, how can we compare this to this other thing? And what's the difference about them? Right. Um, I, I think citrus is a, a really good example because it's, it's really present in cannabis aromas on, on every shelf or wherever you can find it. Some people love it. Some people hate it. It can be really at the forefront or it could be kind of in the background. And it's really easy to be like orange because that's the most basic citrus. 
but we can blow that out into a million things. Is it yuzu? Is it grapefruit? Is it the skin or the peel or the pith or the juice? Like there's just so many parts of an orange that we can dig into and and allow that to like our expression of citrus be much more specific. And if I said, oh, hey, this feels like a really soft uh, navel orange that's like extra juicy from a tangerine and then like a little lemon zest on top. It's like, boom, we just took orange and turned it into three different descriptors that do give you a really idea. Okay, it's gonna be kind of muted orange with this like one bright sweet note and then that like sharp sourness of a lemon. Um, and I think anyone who's not well versed in smelling all of the vegetables and fruits at the grocery store for an hour like I do could still take those like three uh, citrus descriptors and, and have a better idea of what that herb has to offer. Absolutely. And orange is such a great example because there's um, bitter orange and you can imagine what a bitter orange smells like. There's sweet orange and we can imagine what a sweet orange smells like. You mentioned tangerine. Tangerine is almost like a sweet orange, but a little softer, a little suppler, you know? And so even these three things, we have a white grapefruit, we have a pink grapefruit. And these are just quite common fruits. You can think of their flavors, you can think of their aromas, and you can start to distinguish things. And even something as simple as identifying a sweet to a bitter orange aroma, those are two excellent words to describe smells that you can use to describe other types of smells outside of the orange family. So this yeah. starts to create a vocabulary that you can tap into when you're looking for ways to describe different things. Um, lime is another great one that we've talked about um, in the orange family as well. If you look to essential oils, petty grain is the... Um, like the stems of orange. So that's called petty grain essential oil. Um, we also have something called neroli, which is orange blossom. Um, and that is super floral, a super strong kind of grandma's bathroom smell. Once you smell it, you'll know exactly what I mean. It's like, it's a, its own thing and it's a lovely blossom. And so, you know, we can start to look at some of those and neroli is interesting because we would actually consider that a base note. Um, so we could start to get real complex with it here with our top notes and our base notes. Um, well, and also we'll see terpenes like neuralidol, which is found in neroli. That's where it was discovered um, yeah. in cannabis. Right. And you know what kind of scent that imparts because of its origin. Right. Absolutely. And so I, I think that this is the perfect marriage of, um, you know, just like develop sensory stuff from just sticking your nose in a bunch of bottles and be really being really interested in what the next thing smells like. And also like the knowledge you have of where these things come from and their origin and also like maybe even which regions of the world that they like are originally from, because all of those things can inform like what it actually does smell like, right? Or or which, um, which cultures might be more interested in something, you know? The, the green tea that I go and can grab from like Starbucks is way different than the green tea I would find at like a little cafe in Japan. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I've been seeing this thing going around the internet about um, how um, you can look at any object and your tongue knows what it feels like. Um, and I, I think, do you, I use well, this that is dangerous you, knowledge you have just given me, Amanda. Oh, did you I, not know that? No, oh. no, I haven't. But now I'm going to be distracted for the whole rest of the show, just knowing you what can, all of my entire uh, <laughs> office here is going to feel like. You can like, look at anything and your yeah. tongue knows exactly what the texture is going to be. It's super weird. Um, I try to do that with smells. So like even now you're saying green tea, I try to like bring that aroma to my forefront of my senses. So as I'm thinking about smells, as I'm talking about smells um, in my own time um, and in my day-to-day -day experiences, I really try to to call that to mind, you know? Cause really that's what it comes down to is, can I recall these things they're all in there we all know what green tea smells like we know what um every citrus fruit we've ever eaten smells like anything we've ever tasted we know what it smells like it's just a matter of being able to call that into mind um when you're smelling something out of context and this is sort of the biggest piece of the aroma puzzle that everyone has to sort of get over that hump which is that humans are not good at identifying aromas out of context, which is exactly what we're doing when we're talking about smelling cannabis. You're looking at a green leafy thing and you're telling your body, what does it smell like without anything to go off of? If you were looking if you were smelling a grape smell and you saw a grape, you would immediately be like, that's a grape. I can smell that if you're working off any type of list. So a lot of scientific studies that have been done on aroma, cannabis and otherwise, often they're working with um, context to it. They have a list that people are working off of because generally speaking, most people when handed a smell, and this is actually could be like a fun little challenge too, where like maybe you go buy a couple of essential oils and you try to just, without looking at the labels, smell them and figure out which one's which. And obviously the easy ones are going to be easier and the harder ones are going to be harder. But eventually that's, that's part of the challenge is to like hone that out of context ability to um, identify what it is that you're experiencing very specifically in cannabis or in coffee or in perfume, anytime it's out of context of the thing itself. Yeah. And find a fellow scent nerd or do what I do and just raise one and just start from when they're three, like having waving a chocolate chip cookie behind a napkin being like, what does this smell like? Because now my, my friends do this, but mostly me and my kid will take the essential oils and we'll kick back. And when the root beer scent hits my nose, I'm super excited because A, it's really identifiable root beer. I know exactly what it is. But B, okay, I know I'm getting this one right, root beer. And then C, hey, root beer smells great. What a what a cool like bouquet of scents that root beer is. So uh, it's just a fun thing to sit back and practice on and it's really pleasing for your brain. So I, I think that even folks who feel like, here, I'm, I'm like face blind. I really do not recognize people I've met a dozen times. I'm sorry, that's how my brain works. But I have a really good memory for scent in that if I can smell some, 
Jack hybrid that I'm like, this immediately reminds me of the best Jack I've ever smoked in Maui in 2001. And I can tell you where I was standing at the hostel when somebody handed me the bag. Right. It's just, that's, that's how my brain works. And I'm, I know from trying, I can get better at identifying faces and being like, Oh, that's my daughter's friend's dad. Hi, shake your hand, dude. Still working yeah. on your name. Um, but, uh, you know, so I know that it's something that if you feel like, Oh, I'm no good at that. Like I can't do that. You can, if you can stick your head in an apple pie and smell cinnamon and crust and apples, boom, you're there. Like you have the capacity to do this. Okay. These are really great examples because I think apple pie, root beer, cookies. Yeah. Often when people are describing cannabis aromas, if something had the essence of any of those in it, they would say sweet. Sure. And sweet is a great umbrella term, but is it, if you have a food hidden behind a curtain and they're saying, what does it smell like? And you're just saying sweet. That is really boring. We want to take it a step further when we're talking about aromas and say, it's root beer, it's pie, it's a cookie. Let's start to bring down the descriptors to really take it further. Um, root beer is a great example because root beer is actually an aromatic of sweet birch essential oil. So sweet birch is another one where when you said root beer, I thought, oh, sweet birch. Nice. Exactly. Um, and when I say sweet birch, um, maybe I describe that essential oil as root beer. So we can start to kind of come full circle in ways we're describing things um, that people can really relate to and people can really start to understand. And that sounds like fun. I want to live in your house and just be giving cookies and pies uh, and smell them first. Please come by. Yeah. We'll, we'll hide like pumpkin pies in the cabinet and you can <laughs> sniff it out. That's the real thing. Uh, no, I, you know, there's only like 300 master Psalms in, in the world. Right. And uh, a master sommelier is like the highest level of wine tasting taster uh, you can be, right? And it's this uh, uh, test you can take. It's quite rigorous where you basically need to be able to sip a glass of wine and say, this is from this vineyard, this winery, this grape this year, right? And so it's it's very demanding on, um, you know, all of your sensory faculties. Uh, but when you break down how these um, these master psalms take their tests, uh, it's it's relatively simple. And it's something we can apply to cannabis as well, right? Um, so I, I brought up the master psalms because uh, there's only 300 of them. One of the most famous, I forget his name, um, his parents would hide cookies in the house and make him sniff them out. Uh, this very... French existence of like, oh, you can have dessert when you can smell it. Um, and uh, so, you know, myself growing up as like a, a hedonist and putting all of that on my kids, like, yeah, great. We're going to eat all the apple pie, but let's turn it into a little game first. Um, but that I, I've tried to take some of those sommelier techniques and apply them to how I'm smelling cannabis. And so one of the, the more uh, rigorous things that they do in the test is you have essentially two minutes and 20 seconds per sample. And so I, if I'm taking notes on something, I'll spend that two minutes and 20 seconds, sometimes going a little over, um, just with my voice recorder on and just put everything behind 
or, or not think about anything else but what this smells or looks like depending on what I'm writing and just blab into that for a full two minutes and 20 seconds. The timer goes off. I stop, listen to that back and write down everything that still really connects with me. If I'm like, oh, I said cotton candy, listening to that back, like, no, that's that's more of this like caramelized sugar note or whatever. Um, so write that down, right? And then you've got like a, a nice broken down chunk of words that you can build something off of and maybe pick the prominent three or maybe say like, oh, I really feel like this this deep funk here is the bass note and kind of apply that and then talk, talk about what the, the top notes are or whatever. So that that's kind of an approach I've borrowed. Um, what other techniques are you using when you are, are really getting into a sample? Yeah. So, um, I, it's very similar. Interestingly. Um, I didn't know this is, I, this is cool to hear. I didn't know that was your technique. Um, that's very neat. I never thought about going about it that way. I'm a, a very list oriented person. And so usually when I'm coming across, um, generally like a, just a new aroma, whether it's cannabis or, um, I'm, my whole life is weed. So it's probably weed and, yeah. uh, and or terpene blends, um, <laughs> I do a first, second, and third impressions. So I'll, let's just use a terpene blend as an example. So I'll waft the blend. So I do the waft, um, not a heavy snork, just like a gentle waft. Um, and I try to pinpoint just the first thing that comes to mind. So it's okay if my first thought is sweet. I don't, there's, it's cool. You got to start somewhere. So maybe identify that it's sweet. And then I give myself just a couple seconds, regroup, and I do a second um, pass by. And I try to think, what am I getting this second time? But I really force myself to give it a better description. So I take the second time around to see if any nuanced aromas are coming through um, or to, you know, take what I've the sweet descriptor, my first descriptor a step further. And then usually my third round, um, I take a little bit longer with it. I do a few sniffs. I sit with the aroma and I try to, again, just really bring it to bring in more words, bring in more descriptions. Um, what does it remind me of? What am I thinking of? Are there any smells that are coming through that I didn't get the first time? And so that's similarly is like a, a top, mid and base note. You know, um, your top note is typically... Um, typically notes that are going to be um, higher aromatics that evaporate faster. That's why they're considered top notes because they hit you first and then they tend to evaporate. Um, so those are generally flowers, like floral smells tend to be top notes. Um, citruses are generally top notes. Um, so that's why a lot of times people will just say, oh, citrusy, every freaking strain of citrusy, because on your first swap, you're always going to get citrus because that's the top note. Um, mid notes tend to be more herbaceous. They tend to be your pines. They tend to be your herbs, like a basil, an oregano. You know, you're getting your more um, stems of things. Like if you think of a plant, you know, the fruit is on the top, then there's the branches and leaves. And then our base notes generally are um, the woods. So you get more of the woodsy aromas on your third pass. Um, and base notes tend to linger longer. That's why they last. They're a heavier, um, slower. They're slower to evaporate. Base notes are typically quite resinous. Um, so like your sandalwood, um, I'm trying to think. Base notes can also be, um, 
the sexual organs of flowers. So like rose, or no, jasmine, jasmine or ylang ylang, even though they're florals, they're actually technically based notes. So there's exceptions to the rules. But if you think of ylang ylang, it is very heavy of a smell and it really lingers and it really sticks in your nose, like it hangs out. So that is a, a classic base note. And so taking a few different moments to waft through and actually experiencing the whole smell all the way through is equally as important as a first impression. Um, knowing how terpenes work and how they do evaporate at different um, speeds let's say, mm -hmm. um, and they have different molecular weights. So scientifically, they're doing different things at different times. Um, so I usually kind of just go about it that way. I let myself get sort of a few impressions in and, and by writing them down, that's really the start of your sensory evaluation. Um, and that's the easiest way to describe something you start at first, I get a sweet note followed by an interesting um, air like woodsy aroma followed by whatever, you know, and so you can actually take these first impressions similar to what you're doing um, and form a sensory evaluation. And that is literally just describing the smells, which everyone is so puzzled about. That's really the simplest way to do it because you've created a profile within just a couple minutes. Usually for me, I do the whole thing in like less than five minutes. Yeah. yeah. In, in like judging competitions or whatever, where we have to go through like 20 of these in a day um, and smoking them. It's like having that down in five minutes or so is really handy because great. You've done that and you've got nice descriptors and you have enough there that if you smell something, uh, sm say you smell like a watermelon gelato and a cantaloupe gelato, and they're very similar profiles. You didn't just write down the same five words for each. Right. Uh, you know, when you're talking about um, the different notes, uh, I, I really thought like a classic OG was kind of the perfect example where you get these top notes of like diesel that are going to flash off really quickly. Then you have these mid notes that are more like a lemon pine. Um, and then you have these base notes of like that. I like to call it like river water or like fresh forest. Right. And and those being the base notes, think about it as like a, a cologne or a perfume. Those are going to be what's still there at the end of the day after you've sweat and ran and been in the sun. And that's also what older OG is going to smell like or the OGs that have not been properly taken care of or cured. There goes all the gas. Maybe there goes all the lemon and pine. Maybe you still have this like earthy base note, which is enjoyable, but not quite the same as what you're going to get with that like fresh cannabis that had all of its terpenes well preserved or like still intact. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think about that a lot. Uh, last year we started this um, evaluation that we do here, um, which is as we're harvesting, actively harvesting, we do uh, aromatic profiles of all of the weeds. So we're looking also at quality, you know, for breeding purposes, we're looking at the quality, we're looking at the color. Did it get powder mildew? Did it get seeds? Like, you know, we're looking at um, undesirables as well, but a big chunk of what we're doing is smelling it and determining um, whether we liked or didn't like the aroma, 
what exactly it is that it smells like. And then we'll do a second pass a couple months down the line once everything's cured. And as we start to trim things and start to compare and see how um, we've maintained the aromatics or how they've evolved. Because even if you have the best humidity and perfect drying conditions, which nobody does, um, it's still going to change over time, the plant. Um, the, there's actually a really interesting study. I'm, I'm trying to remember what it was, but they were testing the terpenes at different different points along the way, um, pungency strength, but also just the actual smell of it. And, um, it, it does just change as chemically as the curing process occurs, the terpenes are dynamic as well in there and they're changing it up. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to, to know that things are going to change and different smells are going to be different. Like the OG, when I fresh chop it down out here is not going to be even close to what I get. If I smelled what we cut last year, it's going to be very, very different, um, but still worth exploring and still worth describing. Yeah. Well, and really great example. I think we've done a, a nice job of showing how you can get started as a hobbyist with nothing, just what's in your pantry or a trip to the grocery store and then, uh, you know, level up and have all of these bottles of essential oils or isolated terpenes around. Right. And then at scale doing this and applying it to the actual industry where you have like very dedicated spreadsheets and you've got tagged sheets from year to year and you're looking at the cultivars this year, comparing them to last and keeping track of them while they're growing uh, at harvest and then again in the cure, right? Because all of those are data points that are gonna help you uh, maximize profits next year, we'll say, because that's important to any small business. Uh, but they're also like you developing your skills in a, in a very applicable way to what you're working on or what you might work on or future projects. Um, and all of these things have incredible value. It just, keeping track of what's going in and how it turns out and totally informs what to do next year and the year after that. Like you said, the, this project B96, maybe if you had kept no notes, you would have been like, that one was super dank. And then next year started a bunch of new stuff that never even like could hold a candle to the B96 of five years from now. Yeah, I think meticulous note-taking is one of the underrated skills of people in the cannabis industry because uh, we forget very quickly the details of things, especially if you're, even if you're just a heavy smoker um, and you try a lot, a new strain a week, you're not going to remember a year from now exact details of the strain you tried 52 weeks ago. So it's kind of the same, but multiplied by a lot of plants. Um you know, I did want to mention something. You were talking about two different melons. And I actually remember, because um, we did a smell series on a different podcast. Yes. And that was really good. I, I think our episodes were actually really, really solid. Uh, maybe we'll link them somewhere in here. Um, but that series was really great. And one of the episodes we talked about um, how smell works in great detail and one of the things we talked about was how you can become nose blind by over smelling something and that we can actually, as um, aroma professionals, use that as a technique to identify smells further. So 
when you smell something a lot, a lot, a lot, eventually those, um, your senses burn out on that and you stop smelling it. And the example is if you work in a garlic factory and you eventually stop smelling the garlic. Um, and not forever, just for that afternoon, you know, while you're at work. So we can apply the same thing to cannabis. And while we're smelling that, if we have two different OG strains and you really huff into one for quite some time, get yourself a little nose blind and then smell the other one, you're going to notice the subtle difference because that's the only thing that's going to come through. And so you can start to really um, pinpoint different aromatics um, in the same family by forcing your nose to lose its ability to smell that family of, of aromas. Yeah. Well, and, and really same thing with the, the melon example, it, it is those minor differences that make these things stand out. Right. And it's also the thing that, um, is the consumer or whoever you're trying to communicate with is going to connect with and go, Holy cow. I was not looking for Jasmine in this, but when I smelled it, like it was an instant connection. I could not forget it. I probably wouldn't have noticed it unless you said something. Right. Um, and I, I think those are like the big, powerful aha moments where you go, oh yeah, I'm going to remember this for the foreseeable future just because it, it locks in. Right. And then that's it. Then it's there. It's that's like the thing. Eventually it does lock in at first, you know, when you first get terpenes, which like Isolated terpenes are amazing. If you want to practice smell, getting your hands are some. A lot of terpene companies will send you samples for free. Hot tip. So reach out to a terp company. See if they'll send you a handful of samples. Um, yeah, just tell them you're uh, uh, formulating your new candle line or, you know, whatever. You're developing breath strips. Great. Here you go. Here's some terpenes. A lot of companies will send you small samples for free. So this is a hot tip and this is a good way to start your terpene library. Um, and once you, when I first got my hands on my first set of isolated terpenes, I was like, oh man, there is no way I'm going to be able to memorize these. I like, I'm smelling them. It's not making any sense. And it felt very stressful, but it's similar. It's just your brain wants to learn them. Your brain will start to memorize them. It is much easier than it sounds once you start to just really make a conscious effort to think about it. Even as you're walking down the street, the other day, a woman with very strong perfume walked by me. And normally I just think, oh, it's a strong perfume. But I stopped and I was like, but what did it smell like? Like, I really have been trying to force myself to take that little effort. Oh, you're walking down the street and you pass by a restaurant. Maybe it's garlic. Maybe it's smoked meat. I'm really making myself start to form these connections out of context. Um, as far as having context, when you're, you're smelling cannabis, we are working on a project, have been, maybe by now it's ready. And it is to help people who are interested in getting better at smelling cannabis find the aromas. Um, and essentially it is a very comprehensive list of umbrella terms and very specific smells that go with them. So you can start to hone, um, you know, if you have your cannabis and it smells sweet, you can look at the list, you can look at the wheel and you can see, oh, these are the popular categories of sweet. So which one of these is it? And that's another way that you can start to actually make the smell mind connections. Yes. And then even more so like differentiate your products, 
And so everyone, like McGee says, sweet is the first word that comes to our mind for pleasant, right? Very few things actually do smell sweet, right? We're lucky enough to deal with cannabis that has smells like burning sugar and has these like really um, specific bakery smells where you can actually smell something like a yeasty rising bread or a, a chocolatey cookie in the cannabis. So we, we have these uh, very, we have a wide range of flavors to choose from. And if you could say something is like a sweet sage, then you have just totally leveled up your scent description than just saying sweet, right? Uh, so I think it's it's going to be really handy for a lot of folks. And um, we'll be yelling at everyone to go check it out when it's completely ready. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be really helpful. Um, that's one of the tips that I give people. You know, just this week I was asked by a grower, how can I get better at smelling my products? And I said, get your hands on this list because it's really going to help you to contextualize the aromas as you're honing your aromatic skills. So if you don't have time right now to start memorizing and, you know, that kind of thing, if you're out in the garden and you just have a little list in your pocket, you can just start to reference it because you're um, going to be able to smell it. And right away, you're going to be able to find the category that it fits into. So we've been saying sweet, but there's also spicy. There's also woodsy, there's citrusy. Um, so you find that category and then you have to create your personal impression or be able to reference an impression in context in a list, which will actually make a really big difference for describing um, your cannabis as you go. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the cool thing is Amanda could make this list this year at harvest and then update it in a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks, couple of months when um, all the product is ready. And then someone else could come in and make buying decisions on seed stock or planting decisions uh, based on your descriptions. You know what I mean? Oh, Hey, uh, the market said that they really wanted uh, more like woodsy strains or things that were more uplifting and great. You've already got this all laid out for them. These are the 12 uplifting strains from last year. These are the six that had that kind of bubblegum aroma that everybody loved. Like, great. We're going to dedicate this much greenhouse space to it. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the applications, um, maybe not endless, but for, you know, this industry, there's a lot that you can do with this. I think the sensory impressions and sensory evaluations play a huge role, um, especially here in Canada, because we have a really serious lack of R&D happening um, and really strict regulations on listing effects of things. Um, so I think these descriptors can point to a bigger picture. So instead of saying stimulating or sedative, we can actually say, um, I, I feel like we talked about this last week a little bit too, but like cheerful or, um, you know, we can create like these more vibrant, adjective rich statements that aren't just this linear, is it one or is it the other? And we can start to go into this whole other realm of things that we see in perfumery, that we see in now these days coffee, that we see in wine, of course. Um, and these other agriculturally based products, you know, a glass of wine doesn't really describe its effects. Neither does beer, right? It's a consumer. Right. It comes from, it comes from an agricultural product. It's topping, talking about its overall vibe. And I've never seen wine or beer 
or perfume ever described on a linear scale of energetic or sedative. That's not a thing. Um, It's insane to me that this is how we're treating this whole other category of things. Like, why is it one or the other? It's absolutely not. Um, So yeah, like we have many other ways of describing many other things. And actually when you were describing the stolen car earlier, it really made me think like, I swear I've seen that on a can of beer. Like that's the kind of vibe you go for when, you know, yeah. what it say gets you so drunk, you fall asleep. So why does weed say that? Like, oh, it's so strong. You're going to go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's too bad that most of the attempts we've seen at kind of selling a vibe were really like cheesy and eye rolling. And we've seen some of those really fall apart. Uh, Hall of Flowers is next week. And if you don't know what that is, it's a big trade show um, that has open consumption uh, or has consumption areas uh, in Santa Rosa, California. Uh, a lot of the California brands will be there um, showing off their products to other retailers. So they really are saying, put my product in your store. And so it's a lot of money goes into the show. There's a lot of marketing. There's a lot of people trying to sell a vibe. And uh, it's interesting how people do that. A lot of times in the past, that's been with like borrowed cartoon imagery. And thankfully we're here in... uh, the industry is growing up a little bit. I remember when uh, Sherbinsky really came hard with their their very specific orange color that they use with all their branding. And so many companies followed suit with orange branding. It was like, okay, you can have an original idea in cannabis, I promise you. Uh, but, I, but I say all of that to say that there's going to be some really excellent examples of people marketing their product with these like evocative uh, wine country type campaigns. And then there's going to be others who are still relying on the like, Hey, it's a dank cartoon, bro fire. And we'll see like what, what is attracting more, more people, more consumers. What are people more excited about this year? Um, I have a feeling it's going to be the more elevated experience, but Hey, we'll see. Well, that's, you know, if we're trying to create a a luxury industry, then that's the first step is to elevate it, elevate our descriptions. Um, You know, wine could be like hot chocolate. Nobody talks about hot chocolate. Okay, maybe I picked the wrong thing because you're a chocolate guy. But um, it's a good example. Yeah. You know, when you think of hot chocolate, you think of a children's beverage. Um, You don't, I I drink hot chocolate, but it's a wine is this super sophisticated presents is this thing and I think people really you know cannabis is really divided on it um but even spirits you know like people get silly when they drink liquor but it still always presents as this somewhat elevated um experience and description of the experience of consuming the spirits and these days think of cocktails they have burnt orange rinds and smoke coming out of them and people have really finessed them to this very artistic uh, sophisticated, they're beautiful, right? It's like this stunning beverage. And, and so we've started to see this elevation in products that we are everyday consumption products. Coffee is another one, the way it used to just be cinnamon art. And now we've moved into this whole other world of, of fancy things that are happening with little coffees and such. So cannabis is bound for the same level of, of glory as these other luxury um, agricultural goods. And so I think we're going to start hopefully to move away 
from, yeah, like cartoons, don't get me wrong, still vibe with those, but into these better, more, I, I don't like the word sophisticated because it does sound a little dry, um, but it's like tasteful, um, thoughtful maybe is the word I'm looking for, something a little bit more, more thoughtful in the approach to how we're advertising it. Um, and, you know, just sort of my, my last thought about describing aromas um, as we move into this era of refinement. Yeah, um, that's where we're at. Is that at the end of the day, once I've done all of these things we've talked about, practicing smells, memorizing terpenes, identifying aromas, finding the category or the umbrella, finding, furthering, refining the adjectives, refining the descriptions. Um, one of the techniques that um, is recommended from a book that I really love called The Nose Knows is um, the way that they describe um, smells is uh, kind of a very specific type of equation. And in this context, they're describing perfumes. And I really like comparing cannabis aromatics to perfumery because it is this bouquet and it is also this vibe that we're trying to sell. And so what they talk about in the book is that you want to have a combination of the ingredients and imagery to tell the story of the smell. Oh, so you can use the ordinary adjectives like woodsy, fresh, sweet. Then we're gonna combine it with a technical term. So that's where we could throw in sesquiterpenes, limonene, beta caryophyllene. We can throw in our technical esters, whatever, um, our technical aromatic terms that we're slowly honing. Plus um, we're gonna combine that with an emotion. So that emotion is where the energetics and description can come from. And in the book, they describe it as like a summer's day or stealing a car or the cool metal of a blade, right? We're going to start to create an imagery that ties into, and the imagery can be based off of our smell memories. Um, and so it's the combination of all of these elements that creates a dynamic and interesting sensory profile, aromatic profile that people will want to engage with and want to read and ideally try your product. Yeah. So if you are going to love this uh, fuel forward, dank, foresty, middle note OG that feels like being dizzy at the carnival, then <laughs> Like, great. We're, we're pretty close. Like, all right. Hey, I'll, I'll click buy on that one. And then when I roll up for like curbside pickup, not be too disappointed, you know? Um, so I, I think that's, that's really getting everybody closer to where we need to be. Right. And I, I love that equation because it is the perfect blend of expression and communication, right? Which is what this, this whole thing comes down to. It's all the things that we can get better at. And um, it's also saying like, you can have as much fun as you want with this, right? Like I, I've taken sensory analysis courses and it's a little dry. It's a little bit like, can you identify how much pepper is in this jar compared to lemon scent? And then how much lemon scent is in this jar compared to pepper scent? That's great. Okay. We, can, we can do that all day. Um, but if, uh, it's, it's the expression, it's talking about the smelling, like the oldest book in the library or whatever, where I feel, feel oh, like Dude, that's so evocative right away. I was like, yes, that's <laughs> like, it's the cellar door of the fighting the cellar door of the cannabis world. 
with right? smell. Yeah. And we have all of that license here. So it's like when you you talk about all the steps that we routinely go through to like have like a, a really nice vocabulary of these scents, like it is a lot. It's like a daily thing that we do, but it's it's so fun. And the freedom is there to do any of these things. And the demand for better description is is there too. So it's like, this is just like a win, win, win type hobby or situation or industry to get into if it's something you're interested in, because it's so young that we're developing it as we speak and we need all of the voices we can get for this. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is uh that's where everything's going. And, you know, as we look to other industries, it's we're on par. So that's, we're going to be right up there with the other delicious smelling things and tasting things. I mean, tasting sort of the next step, but um, smelling is my favorite place. So, and I can't wait. Um, so the podcast like launched for real last week, episodes are going out. We've got a few banks. So as those roll out, we get to to kind of like live through those older notes of people listening to the podcast for the first time. Really cool. Love all the feedback we've been getting. Send even more our way. Um, I know that we have a, a smoking spot that we want to share. Um, Amanda, will you tell us who that's from this week? Yeah, this week's smoking spot just started slurring my word. I'm in a sunroom. It's getting very hot in here. Um, <laughs> We're wrapping up. Let's I'm get like you my face getting a little flushed. Yeah, I'm in a sunroom. It is the heat of the day. Um, but yes, we have an awesome smoking spot today from a person named Harmony. Um, their Instagram is P is for pot. They're always posting really awesome content. So I was very excited to get their smoking spot. And here it is. I think my favorite sesh spot would have to be some place home, cozy, with a nice fluffy blanket, preferably watching South Park or some dumb show <laughs> that rots your brain. Um, but this is all because, you know, when you first start smoking, you always have that one place when you close your eyes that you always remember. Um, and that would be in my university years in my best friend's house that was right behind mine in Kingston. And uh, that's where I learned to smoke my first bong. And boy, did I completely crush my lungs and um, learned what South Park was after growing up in a very um, conservative and strict upbringing and family. So um, it's wonderful when we talk about where our favorite sesh spots are because memories make a difference and they have a special spot in our heart. And um, those are the special places that we always could go back to. So I guess my answer is twofold. Um, in the comforts of my home or, my or in the, my mind at my best friend's house way back when with South Park humming in the back and us passing the communal bong. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. We always appreciate those. Uh, go ahead, tap, tap in on the social media at the.smokingspot.com. Uh, there's no .com on there. It's just Instagram. <laughs> so I, you, I agreed with you. You're like, yeah, yeah, .com. No, no, no. At the.smokingspot. Find us there. Um, go ahead. Send us a little direct message, DM. 
voice recording of your favorite smoking spots from when you were young, from when you're older. You can tell us about smoking in stolen cars. We don't care if you know the seven what, years has passed, you're in good shape. I've been loving these smoking spots because I have a ton of smoking spots memories over the years and even harmonies that just played um, university smoking spots. I totally had a secret spot in university um, that we called. Oh shit. I'm trying to remember the name. It was like the heating vent. It was just like the heating vent <laughs> spot. And it was literally around the side of like a main building was a fucking heating vent. So if you stood in this like one square, it was warm. And obviously I live in Canada. So in our campus at that time, the one that I went to was built for actually um, California. And then they didn't sell it there. So wow. somehow the design got sold in North Toronto. So the whole freaking place was a wind tunnel. It was so cold in the winter. And the the heating vent, was it the heating vent or the, the tunnel? I'm I'm not I'm gonna remember it and I'll let you guys know next week. But that spot was always warm and there was no snow because the heat would melt the snow in that one square. So that was always our fun spot. And I remembered that as I was listening to this smoking spot this week. So oh, very that's so perfect. Spots, you guys very very relatable. Yes. Keep them coming. Everyone that comes in, I'm just like laughing because I'm like, yes, I can completely relate to climb out on my parents' roof and all the other ones. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, much love to uh, Gator Troubadour who did our awesome intro, outro. And um, I don't know if we had a break this week, but hey, the little break music is by him too. Um, go find him on Bandcamp and Instagram, wherever else. Um, find me at the Loud One Hundred on Instagram. Amanda, where can we find you? It's at Emerald Temple Living with some dots in between. Um, you guys have been finding me, so I believe. Yeah. Um, I think you've been finding Ryan too, so that's good. Um, and I've been trying to follow up with everyone's questions from the first episode. It's been the feedback has been so lovely. We've been working on this podcast for a very long time. Um, this was birthed in a different podcast. And so it's really nice to finally launch the first episode on the back of recording what is now the fourth or the fifth and um, and getting all this really good feedback. It's actually really lovely to put something you've been working on into the open and and have people and get the positive feedback so yeah more good things coming for the podcast better sounds more fun things to download and that kind of thing and we would really appreciate it if you know another fellow weed nerd that just share, drop them a link so give us five stars if you don't and uh hey if you have a nice little rating for us drop that there too all of that helps people see the show absolutely Cool. Well, that's all the time we have today, everyone. But we'll be back next week for more. So tune in. Said no matter what kind of pain, can anguish life may bring you. Oh, smoke it up, hold it down, and don't ever stop. Well, you can always find your smoking spot. Yeah, you can always find your smoking spot.